Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. In this episode, we partner with the Exponential Conference and host a five-part webinar titled Mobilizing Missional Disciples. This episode is called Recalibrate, Forgotten Paradigms at the Heart of the Future Church. Welcome, everybody. We are so glad that you're here. And uh, it's good that you're here because even in the past five minutes, as we've been talking, it's been a lot of fun. So I'm hoping that you guys are going to have a lot of fun today, too. So I just want to welcome you to um, Forge America's Hub um, for uh, on Expo for Mobilizing Missional Disciples. Um, we're so glad that you're here. Now, last week, we actually talked about repentance. Um, it was a great conversation looking at repentance as sort of the catalyst for individual formation and community transformation. And so we're super glad that you're back here today. Today, we're going to be talking about recalibration. How do we like uh, take what we've learned about repentance, about turning, and now recalibrate so that we might move forward? And we're going to be discussing some of the forgotten paradigms at the heart of the future of the church. And so we're here with um, Brian. We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, Brian, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, tell us who you are. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and, and uh, what you're doing these days uh i'm i'm just an ordinary person uh <laughs> and i yeah years ago um was a part of the founding of something called the underground network and um so we have friends all over the world now and still involved in that um still leading a microchurch uh did, did some planning for that last weekend and um still trying to I'm working with a handful of churches around the country trying to contribute to the life and the flourishing and well-being of the church and in as it steps into the future still doing that but I've also taken on a role uh, with the National Christian Foundation to work in the area of uh, what's called collective impact so it's like collaboration uh, to, to pull together government church business entities to solve intractable problems so my, my sort of missionary activist side is getting fired up, you know, so I'm, I'm involved in about six of those projects right now, locally, um, collective impact alliances and projects. So I'll, I'll probably do that for a few years, a couple of years here. And that's, that's what I'm up to. <clears throat> Love it. Brian, it's so good to be with you, man. And uh, thanks again for, for doing this. I was, um, talking with you the other day and I said, I, I love how in a lot of ways you've kind of like mysteriously like disappeared. And, yeah. um, I love that like inwardly and secretly, I, I kind of want the same thing at times. It's like, you know, to be able to be seemingly insignificant, um, to the rest of the world's eyes, but to be really faithful in some small things. And so, um, I love that, man. I love your posture. I love your humility. Um, you know you know, I'm a really big Radiohead fan, and the lead singer of Radiohead is a guy called Tom York. And, of course, he's written hundreds of, of beautiful, you know, haunting songs. But his favorite song, so if you ask Tom York what his favorite song is, his favorite song is a song called How to Disappear Completely. Nice. And I love I love the irony of that. I also really like that song. But it's it's like it's a skill, you know, how to, how to, mm. how to not be seen sometimes. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. In some ways it takes a little bit of the pressure off too. Um, especially kind of in our crazy Western mm. culture, uh, where the opposite is more often kind of the reality than, than not, but yeah, good. Yeah, good point. 
Uh, man. So I know Beth just mentioned this idea of repentance and kind of as we dove into our discussion last week, um, I just shared an image. And again, this image is not magical. It's not mystical. It's just been more of anything, a visual representation, I think, of uh, my own personal journey over the course of the last year, um, the journey of a lot of uh, churches over the course of the last year, um, in the midst of kind of the, the unraveling. And so it might be helpful for others. Um, and so I would love just to share that, just to kind of frame a bit of our discussion. We're kind of continuing um, a bit of that discussion um, this week. And so this was the initial image that we showed. And we talked about our current challenges and how we've dreamed of this better future. And really this last year kind of was a bit of an unraveling, so to speak, from covid um, to the long overdue reckoning with injustice, um, a lot unraveled around us culturally, socially, politically, within the church. Um, and oftentimes I feel like the tendency early on in the midst of that is to try to jump across this big kind of crevice U-curve. And instead of journeying downward and doing the hard work, I feel like oftentimes we're like, no, give me the Band-Aid, give me the quick fix, let me get past this um, uncomfortable kind of feeling that we're feeling. And so we just talked about the next step really beyond this unraveling is really taking a chance to ask God in the midst of our challenges, what are you trying to uncover? Um, what are you trying to bring about um, in the midst of this? Um, and then what are some things that we might need to potentially unlearn? And that led us to this kind of this pivotal point last week um, where at the bottom of this U-curve, you have metanoia or you have this idea of repentance. And on the other side of it, it's not necessarily a, um, a lot of action more than it is a willingness to rethink um, and to wrestle. And so I would love, though, before we kind of move into the wrestling of paradigms and thinking through some paradigms, I'd love to even back up a little bit more and just simply ask you, Brian, as you've kind of looked and observed kind of all that's happened over the course of the last year. Um, I would be curious to get your thoughts on what do you feel like has been uncovered in, in the life of the church? What do you feel like some of the challenges we've faced in the last year have really uncovered um, that maybe God is kind of bringing to surface that we might need to adjust, rethink, do some things differently, um, or call us back to maybe an old way? I mean, yeah, that's a that what a what a big question. Probably there's some personal revelations for each of us, like yeah, an, an uncovering an apocalypse of your own character, or you know, your your key key relationships or something. Um, the the model you operate out of um, has been called into question, almost certainly. Um, <clears throat> you know, probably on a on a bigger scale, I guess, and not not to be you know, dire, but I'd say, I'd say a lot of people that we were calling Christian probably, probably were realizing are not Christians. Um, mm. You know, the, the church has been peopled with um, idolaters, you know, and <clears throat> that maybe that's always been the case, but, and we can talk more about this if you want, but the truth is that the, the easier you make the walk, the, the more sort of self-serving, um, we make the the message the more likely that we will have imposters, you know, in our midst. I was thinking because be, because you asked me to think about the the past, 
you know, paradigms or whatever, I was thinking about that, that dynamic in the early church before Constantine, where there was this, this serious and ongoing, it was sporadic, it was intermittent, but there was the serious and ongoing threat of persecution, even, mm-hmm. even martyrdom. And in that season, as difficult as it must have been to live through that, to be a part of that, there were no, there were no, there was no such thing as a, as a fake Christian, right? Because why would you do that? <laughs> why would, why would you right. pretend, why would you pretend to be something that, that <laughs> puts you in threat, you know, in right. danger for your life or something? It's just, just nobody was going to do that. Nobody was going to be like, oh, I'm going to pretend like I'm a Christian, you know? If anything, it was the opposite. It was it was true Christians, actual Christians, sometimes flagging and losing, you know, losing their nerve um, in the face of, of extreme persecution. And you know, obviously, something happens with the with the, the sort of synchronization of 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 empire and power and commerce and and christianity you know we we all know that that's a, that's a story we're familiar with um but but probably over the course of 2000 years you have a kind of it's a it's 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 a it's a a, a it's a scale of that like sometimes we're we're way into empire and sometimes we're we're less so and i would say maybe this is just revealed that we were we were a little too um you know, intertwined and, and a lot of people just go to churches on Sunday and they, they're not, they're, they don't follow the way of Jesus. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's hard because now we're being judged the, 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 the Jesus himself, the, 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 the message of the cross, the, the, the hope of the, the kingdom of God, is now being, you know, sort sort of witnesses being born to this false people, and and now we have to deal with that. You know, now we have to sort of like respond to um, true Christians also sin and and make a mess of the whole thing. Please don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, real people who follow the way of Jesus are also garbage a lot of times. But but I'd say we, we have this additional problem of a lot of posers, a lot of imposters who are running around, uh, make, just making it really hard to for the non-believing world to have any respect for us, you know? Mm. What, when you, um, you know, last week when Candace was talking about repentance, um, she talked about it as sort of this willingness to rethink and wrestle with those old paradigms of recognizing that, I mean, as you've brought up, recognizing, hey, there has been a lot of imposters and there is a lot of idolatry that currently exists in our church and being able to name that and recognize it and, uh, and, and turn from that. And in that process, um, you kind of come to this place of like, okay, but now what do I do? Like, like if I'm able to repent from that, what does it look like to then, um, what, what's the next step after recognizing the idolatry um, that's in our own hearts as well as in the rest of the church. Like, how have you dealt with that even in your own story, in your own life, in the own congregations that you've participated in, in order to then take a next step after realizing that? Well, first of all, repentance as a as a concept is full of hope. I mean, I mean, mm. it's it's kindness that leads us to repentance, and then repentance offers this sort of newness of life and the possibility of a redo and a start you know, a fresh start and everything. Repentance is an incredibly beautiful 
hopeful thing. It hurts, you know, it's, it's humbling. (laughs) It's embarrassing, honestly, Mm -hmm. sometimes to repent, but I would say our problem right now is not that we're repenting because we're not, we're, we're, we're the, the, the sort of in vogue term right now is deconstructing. So that's not repenting. So so to, to try to take your thing apart and at the end of it, only find yourself more righteous than when you started, you know, so, so sort of like, we're pulling something apart we're saying this is what's wrong with it and like i knew it all along or like you know i i never i never co-signed on any of this stuff or whatever uh that's dangerous ground and i'm and by the way i'm i'm all for deconstructing things i'm 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 fond of that process please don't get me wrong but but if that's all we're doing we're not repenting we're actually not taking responsibility so i'm i'm big into systems thinking and the, the, the one of the core truths of systems thinking is that you cannot change a system if you don't recognize your part of it and recognize the part that you play within it. Um, it's, it's just, it's just an error that we're making as we're deconstructing, as we're, we're, we're becoming thoughtful and critical of the systems we inhabit to also not at the same time, recognize I'm part of the problem. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 I contributed to the system and, and to some degree, I should probably focus more on that, on the part I played, you know, the, the, the log in my own eye than the sort of speck in the eye of my brother or sister or whatever. And so when and where there has been true repentance and us actually coming a reckoning of our own sin, our own error, our own mistakes, our own investment in the wrong things, frankly, that's, that's beautiful and hopeful. And the church will live again. It will, it will rise from the ashes of that, that repentance. But the threat to us, in my opinion, the, the more dangerous thing is that we're not repenting, actually. Mm. We're, just, we're just judging everyone and judging the people that came before us as if they were incompetent and foolish. And how could they make such a you know, stupid knuckleheaded system or something as if we wouldn't, you know, as if our kids aren't going to do the same thing to the, to the stuff we build, you know. Uh. That's good, Brian, because I, I, I do see that often. And um, in the sense of, I mean, you see it all over social media. I mean, it, it's so much easier to, to point out the mistakes in others instead of just simply saying, maybe I've gotten it wrong. Maybe I don't know. And honestly, I feel like the older I get, the more or less sure I am uh, of anything. And for a long period of time, I was like, is that a problem? Like, should I be more sure of some things as I get older? But I'm I think I'm slowly starting to feel comfortable that, no, maybe that's a good place to be, that um, I'm open. And who's to say, like you said, I wouldn't have made some of those same decisions uh, if it wasn't for um, the grace of God. But Yeah, it's, 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 it's my belief that we sort of cycle between um, these two challenges. One is to system and the other is to self. And so you can actually look at church history through the lens of that cycle. That the, the, the sort of Christian emphasis or focus when it becomes the system. I mean, you can take our recent history, like let's just take, let's say the, the late 60s, well, late 50s, 60s, and, and maybe even in the early 70s, you have the sort of rise of liberationist thinking and so on, of which I am in great debt. Um, you know, it's a real focus on the system. And then what happens is we neglect the self you know, the sense of responsibility, you know, I, I can, I can remember a time when I was trying to convince, you know, like in the nineties, you're trying to convince college students that there's such a thing as structural sin, such a thing as systemic 
sin. Mm-hmm. You know, that we, we can collaborate together to create systems that themselves are evil, you know, uh, because we're all sinners. And when we put our, when we work together on something, we can actually make pretty, you know, horrific little systems, you know, but now it's fun. It's like, I can barely convince a college student here in 2021 that there's such a thing as personal sin, that there's such a thing as, you know, actually I'm also responsible. And so I, I actually think we're going to see, you see in the, in the seventies and then eighties, a response to that, that systemic focus and emphasis back to the self, that the, the, the Christian emphasis became about you and a sort of personal sin and personal salvation. And I bet that's going to happen again. I think we're going to see another cycle of that. You know, when you have this sort of focus on the system and activism and no one's really looking at themselves, you will see a, a reaction. But of course, the way of Jesus just, it cares about both. You know, we're supposed to be critical of the system and deny ourselves. And when we do, when we, when we try to, you know, somehow embody both of those concerns and the rec, the recognition that sin comes in both of those forms, um, you know, I, I'd say we're probably humbled by that. Um, we, we, our posture is a little different. Our, our tenor or tone in the world is a little bit different because, because on the one hand, we're like, this system's horrible. We need to tear it down. On the other hand, like I'm the problem, you know, and, and I'm, I'm personally responsible for my own, I'm culpable uh, mm. for the system, you know? Yeah. So, I love that. Those things intention, I think is hard to do. But when the church has been healthiest, it's, it's done that. I, I do love that tension. I think that that is one of the, the paradigms that, that we have to wrestle with, you know, that, that tension, that ebb and flow between those two things. Um, Brian, you're using this, this phrase, um, sort of the markers of the way of Jesus or the way of Jesus. You've said it maybe two or three times so far. Can you just like unpack that a little bit? Like when you say that, um, what are, what do you mean? Cause I think one of the things that we struggle with, um, and this goes back to the idolaters in the church and, um, and imposters, we've packed that with a lot of different things in order to include or disclude, uh, different things. So like in, in, um, in describing that in, in sort of stating your, your framework for what, what does that mean for you? The way of Jesus. I, I didn't mean it to be, uh, you know, codified maybe, but, but, but why not? Let's, you know, let's do it. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, it's probably like the idea that we start with Christology, you know, that, that thought of like Christology leads to missiology, which then leads to ecclesiology. So the church is the sort of, well, and I would actually say then, and also to eschatology, but, but the church is sort of third in a line of focus, you know? So, so really we just start with a relationship with a person, an actual person mm. who's alive and can be interacted with and wants to have a say and be Lord and leader of our lives. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. Uh, it's a person, an actual person. And of course there's the teaching of Jesus uh, you know, canonized in scripture in the new Testament, but the word of God, even the active, you know, sense of hearing the spirit of God or whatever, that's all, that's all relationship with an actual person with Jesus. So I think if you can't find it in the, in the life teaching, you know, whatever expression of 
God in Jesus, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, mm. You know, it's not normative in the life of Jesus or the teaching of Jesus. Um, it's not Christian. It's tr- strictly speaking, you know, what, what is, what is it sort of equivocation definitionally? What does it mean to be Christian? It means to be someone who's like Jesus or tries to be like Jesus or is trying, you know, it's, at least cares about Jesus. Look, I, I know people who claim to be Christian or used to claim to be Christian. And if I say, Jesus said, turn the other cheek to your enemy or love your enemies, they would say, well, I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so I, I don't know what to do in that situation, because to me, that means you're not Christian. You're, 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 right. you do not follow the way of Jesus. Jesus said, you must love your enemies. I'm not saying it's easy. I consider myself, to, for example, I consider myself to be sort of a backsliding pacifist, you know, um, I, I believe you should turn the other cheek and so on. But if you, if, if someone strikes me, there's a good chance I'll hit them back. It's not because it's right. And I, and I, and I don't, and I don't, I don't think I should form some sort of philosophy where Christians should hit people back and so on. I just think that's wrong and I'm wrong. And, and that's a part of what I love about Jesus. Also part of what I need from Jesus is mm. to actually lead me to a higher way um, and to reveal the heart of God to me, which is, which is foreign to us, you know, essentially, you know, it's foreign to us. So whatever, Lord, Lord, the Lordship of Jesus, you know, that's the way it's like just a total commitment to the person of Jesus and his way in the world and whatever he said over what I say. Now we, if we disagreed, like that's not what he meant or something like that, that's fine. I mean, that there's going to be plenty of that trying to, I really want to follow Jesus. You really want to follow Jesus. I want to embody who he is. You want to embody who he is. And we're not quite exactly sure of what that looks like in a given situation or context. Great. That's, that's just the richness of, of the, the people of God. But when, when people actually are saying, I don't care that that's what Jesus taught, I'm not doing that. Or I don't think that's right in this time. Then I just, we're just talking about something else. Yeah, that's huge. I've seen that a lot in the last year, especially as it as it kind of applies to power and like grasping after mm-hmm. power or control or the need to be right or, you know, well, it's my freedom or not. And it's like, I don't know. Jesus pretty much gave up his freedoms and power every time I, I looked. And um, yeah. so I'll, I'll give you just one, just Matthew five. Jesus said, do not resist an evil person. Mm. You know, like I want to resist evil people. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that is. Not, I'm not. Com- I'm. I'm not comfortable with that. It's not easy, but he said it, and I'm his. And as far yeah. as I understand, soteriologically, he he bought my life, mm. and mm-hmm. I I I want to belong to him. I do ultimately belong to him. You know, it's again thinking about the early church in the first two or three centuries. You had this intermittent persecution. Actually, there was a there was a really profound controversy that occurred in the early church between what was called the lapsed and the confessors. You know, you essentially had these people that were asked to sort of burn. Everyone's sort of could be periodically asked to burn incense or something to Rome, to Caesar. And then you had this this problem of some Christians re- would refuse, and those they could they could actually be martyred, actually killed for refusing to burn the incense to sort of you know pay tribute to this idol, but uh, they could just be imprisoned or their property seized or just, just persecuted or whatever. And so a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians 
did it. They, 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 they lost their nerve and they, they, they burned the incense, you know, to get the, to get the certificate for the year to say, I'm good. I'm, you know, I've paid tribute to Rome and, and others would, would, would find a way to get the certificate without burning the incense, but still sort of playing the game, you know, and what happened in the church was then you had this, this debate, what do we do? They called those people the lapsed. And the question was, what do we do with the lapsed? You know, and there was a, there was a fiery debate, you know, people like Cyprian would have been in the middle of this, just sort of figuring out, okay, do we let those people back in the church? Like once they say, we're really sorry, we shouldn't have done that. Uh, now, what do we do with these people? You know, what do we do mm-hmm. with the lapse? Do we let them back in? And, and interestingly, ironically, or maybe not ironically, maybe poetically, <laughs> the people arguing for grace to the lapsed, that is to say, we should not require penten- penance or anything like that, were the confessors, mm. were actually the people who were persecuted because they refused to do it. And yet these people had never, never made a sacrifice, never had to, never, never were flogged or imprisoned or anything like they were going, we should never let these people back in. We should never do this, you know, <clears throat> but it was the confessors that understood the true power of the church was this idea of being just utterly other than the world, you know? So, so, you know, like Origen called it peacemaking, Tolstoy called it non-resistance, you know, Martin King called it non-violence, but it's this idea of like how we resist evils by not resisting evil. Mm. You know, when violence is threatened, we return that violence, that potential violence with love. So when Jesus says, don't resist an evil person. And yet also the Bible says, resist the devil. So, I'm supposed to not want evil. I'm supposed to resist evil, but somehow I'm supposed to see the, the, the image of God and other people and not, not see the evil they're doing as somehow implicit in who they are as a person, you know, <clears throat> and actually to, 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 to reject the proposition of evil and to negate it actually in them by loving them. Mm. That's just, just, just the most undermining thing you can do to evil, like Romans 12, like overcome evil with good, mm. uh, you know, or, or, or Paul Tillich, who said the strange work of love is to destroy all that is not love. So, so love is actually this, this, this combative, forceful thing in the world. It's actually, it's actually ripping apart evil. It's actually rip. It is resistance. It is yeah. the ultimate resistance, but the way we resist the weapons, we, we, we wage war with are different kinds of weapons. And, and so again, I just take that on as like, man, this is just an otherworldly thing. And I can only, I, we only have that from Jesus. Tolstoy gets it from Jesus. Gandhi gets it from Jesus. King gets it from Jesus. Uh, you know, this, this radical ethic. Okay. So, so maybe that's unpopular right now. I want, I want to resist evil people. I'm going to fight you. In fact, if you're a true believer in X, Y, or Z, you better go fight the, the enemy. And the enemy is that group over there. That's just, that's just, it just, it just strikes me as anathema to Jesus. It's just not what he was, in my opinion, not what he was about, not what he was saying. And I yeah. love that as you've described that uh, you've 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 not talked anything about what the church does or doesn't do. You haven't talked anything about programs or professionals or places or anything like that. You've gone to the heart of Jesus, and yet it hasn't watered it down. It's actually increased the level of caliber, increased the level of commitment, increased the level in which it invades every aspect of our lives. Um, 
And I love how it starts with that, that that's the, I mean, that's the ultimate recalibration is really looking at how does Jesus change everything for us first as an individual, as a person, shift our, all of our mindsets, all of our thinking. And then from there, moving forward from that place. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and I think this is implicit in what you're saying, Beth, but you know, we just, tactics aren't going to get us out of this, like trying to figure out the next, (laughs) the next way to do church or something like that. It's just totally missed the point. Like you've lost the plot. If you think you're going to buy some workbook that tells you how to redo your church, that'll make it all right. The problem is we've lost Jesus. The problem is that Mm. we've lost our heart. You know, we've lost, we've lost our way. Not, not everyone, obviously. Um, and I'm, and whoever's listening, I'm not talking about you personally. I'm sure you're lovely and, and, and so on. You're a saint, <laughs> but you know, in a general sense, we, we have to say, man, like we're, we're, we're off course here, you know? And so the answer is not tactics. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm all for tactics too, please. A different, different discussion. We can go deep into tactics, but it's, it's hard. And we got to get our heart back. And and that, Beth, your point, I think is about, it's just about Jesus. It's like getting in your prayer closet and being like, Lord, I've missed you and forgive me and take me back, you know, and yeah. take our, take our, our community back and our church back and set us straight and repentance, Ryan, to your point, that's what will happen in the room with yeah. Jesus. If we get back in the room with Jesus is us just going, it's like Isaiah six, like, oh, I'm, I'm undone. You know, I'm just, yeah. I'm just. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. Forgive us, Lord. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it's so hard to get back to that place because um, everything else in our Christian culture, our Christianese churchology culture is screaming at us that the markers are about something different than being with Jesus, that it's about all of these other markers. And so we get distracted and disoriented by uh, those other accolades, by those other things that, Um, everyone else is valuing and all of the books are being published about and all the speakers are talking about that when it comes to the simplicity of, no, I just, I just want to meet with my Jesus. Like, I just, I just want to be with him and I want to follow him and I want him to convict me in all of the different places so that I have hope and joy and new life. Uh, That just, that just slowly fades away into the darkness uh, of all of these other things that are, but what, but what you said there, Beth, is really important. Like, I want to be with Jesus so that he will convict me. That is very different than I want to go sit with Jesus so he can he can co-sign on everything I already think. Uh, you know, so so I wouldn't want people to use that, the primacy of sort of Jesus above all things, to just, uh, you know, reinforce their own point of view. I, I, I'd say that the primary experience of being with Jesus, well, let's say it's twofold. Uh, of being in the presence of Jesus is to feel overwhelmingly loved mm. and to feel overwhelmingly convicted. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd say, you know, you've been with Jesus if you feel like everything you're doing is wrong <laughs> <laughs> and yet, and yet you're totally and utterly loved and accepted. And that, that strange, impossible dual reality you know, can only really come in the presence of God. So I want to be better. I want to grow, but not to perform because he already mm-hmm. loves me, but because I see a better way and I want to please him. You know? Yeah. That's a good distinguishing kind of marker there and not better perform, but just to simply be with him. I think in the last 
I don't know, maybe even the last month, I've begun to realize more than maybe at any other point in my life, um, I, you know, starting in, you know, Christian ministry to some degree, as soon as I got, you know, as soon as I went into college, so for almost 20 plus years, it's been, it's been so intertwined kind of ministry and what I do, as well as kind of my relationship and faith with Jesus. And it's like, I, if you pull them apart, I'm not 100% sure what's there because it's been this weird kind of like, I got to be with Jesus so I can be better at work. I'm better at work because then that'll please Jesus. And it's like, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it, and I feel like I'm, I'm coming into that for really honestly the first time in 20 years to really see that as, wow, mm. I've, I think I've made that a, more of a reality than I care to admit. But mm. and I would be curious too how many folks are listening or are at that same spot. Um, oftentimes in their life, but certainly not alone in the midst of it. Well, or even just, we should all have a little, a little anecdote like that, you know, to be able to say that the last year or two has just really showed me something about myself and, 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 and I'm sorry. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm relying on the grace of God and I'm going to do some things differently. Yeah. Both personally and in the way we do church or the way we organize, the way we lead. I mean, gosh, there's, there's just so much, so many lessons. This is such a rich time. So you could call this, if we, if we, if the American church has a psyche, you'd have to be hoping here for what's called post-traumatic growth. You know, the, the coming out <laughs> of something really, really difficult, really, really hard, but it, but it becomes a turning point for us. And, and I, I think that's also something I'm seeing the possibility of maybe something, a renewal. So, so when Gideon's army is reduced down to just a few hundred people, then they have a chance to really do something special. And so, yeah, we, we may not, when, when the dust settles on all of this, there may be less professing Christians uh, than there were before, but maybe those people will be humble and you know pure hearted yeah. and flawed you know and still screwing up everything they do but but walking more gently uh in the world and 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 maybe maybe seeing the kingdom come again you know i i was also thinking about um the dark ages you know like by the way, thank you for asking me about the past. Nobody ever asks me to reflect on the past. I don't know why, but um, maybe I'm just more of a think about the future type. Protect. What's going to get us there? Yeah. Well, but, you know, I was just thinking about the Dark Ages, you know, like the Dark Ages were, well, the Middle Ages, also called the Dark Ages, which is a rough time Yeah. You know, for people, for the church, for art, you know, for thought learning everything you know this is a rough time but think of the dark ages you know massive churches led by power hungry leaders Mm. you know a synchronization of nationalism political positions and church affiliation yeah it was a time when leaders were too often driven by money or fame uh there was a tarnishing of the public trust you know, in such a way that you'd actually be hard pressed to find authentic Jesus people in the throng of churchgoers, you know, but out of the dark ages, we get someone like Francis. And I don't know, I was just thinking about him this morning and, you know, he goes, of course, you know, his story and he, he kind of divests himself of his father's wealth. And then he, he goes and he's ministering to lepers and he sees this little chapel 
this little dilapidated chapel, church, whatever. And he hears God. I think, I think probably, you know, an echo of the, the prophet Haggai, he hears God say, see thou my house lies in ruins. And so he, and, and by the way, that word has also come to me in my life. You know, do you see my house lie, lies in ruins? And so Francis, of course, interprets that as I need to go repair that little chapel. So in addition to ministering to all the lepers in the area, he starts pouring himself into finding materials and, and just trying to rebuild this little dilapidated, broken down chapel, church. Um, but of course, we will come to see in hindsight, in the hindsight of history that actually, probably the call, the thing he was hearing from the Holy Spirit was much bigger than that little chapel that actually God had called in, in the purity of his heart in his concern for the weakest and the marginalized and the most rejected in the world, his love for the poor, his commitment to simplicity, to humility, to an obscure kind of walk with God. Actually, maybe God was whispering in his ear, my house, my, my house, my whole church lies in ruins. And it did, you know, and of course, Francis becomes a, a, a breath of fresh air and, and, a, and, a, and a sign of the kingdom in a really, really dark, dark time. But, you know, that, that call to change the church as a whole, I just think this is where we are. I think we're moving into some dark ages, you know, and I, and I think the call to change the church as a whole is not something you try to lay hold of. Instead, what you do is you put your eyes on one little chapel, one little dilapidated okay. building and, and love the lepers around it, you know, and you just try to rebuild that. And, 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 and the, the, the wonder of it is the church has changed by that. And I, if I were to make a prediction, you know, I, I would say that this is what's coming like a positive prediction, like the revival that I imagine is, is brave, talented, gifted, called people putting their eyes on one little dilapidated chapel and just saying, this is how I will express my faith in God, my love for the church, my Christianity is not to make some big empire or make some big brand or some ministry, but to just, to just rebuild this little chapel and to serve the lepers around it. And that if we, if, if, if enough of us do that, just put, just give up, give up the idea of having a bajillion Twitter followers or whatever, by the way, it's not what it's cracked up to be. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a different kind of hell anyway. So, but to just, to just say, I want something small, meaningful to, to rebuild this one little piece of the church. And if enough of us did that, um, well, you, the whole thing would be rebuilt, right? Man, and Brian, it's kind of, in some ways, it goes back to my comment about you mysteriously disappearing earlier. Um, you know, when I moved to New York City about three and a half years ago, I quickly realized that I could not live in New York City and sustain. Like, you just can't. There's too many people, too many things to do, too many restaurants to visit, too many, you know, sites to see. And what we really had to begin to do was to say, no, what does it actually look like for me to live within a few blocks and to live really, really well? Um, and I kind of took that same perspective and looked at church in general across the city. And there's, there's fewer churchgoers or Christians or people interested in faith 
um, maybe in, in, a, in the way that we would tend to think here in a place like New York City. And so I find that churches oftentimes have to be churches in the city. And um, partly because it's not very sustainable to be a, to be a church, so to speak, um, for a few blocks or um, to do the small really, really well, to not worry about the church across the city or even, you know, take that and go church across the country. And, but what I, what I'm really called to do is, is to live faithfully right here. And I've noticed that I'm never going to make a living loving my street or my two blocks really, really well. And I wonder too, if that's a paradigm that we have to that we have to wrestle with. What is it that I've, I think I've heard Alan Hurst say a million times, you can't teach something to someone when their livelihood depends upon them not understanding it. Um, you know, we've already talked about a lot of paradigms already of the f- kind of the forgotten way, maybe, so to speak, that might be necessary for the future church. Um, but I wonder too, if we've got to rethink that in some aspects, like what does it look like to, to not have, you know, massive Twitter following and just to love a handful of people really well, much like you described Francis. Yeah, I was, I'm, 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 I'm writing an article right now called, you know, you've, you've heard the term too big to fail that that's, it comes from the banking industry. I think like you, you just, yeah. you, know, you have a, you have a, an entity or an enterprise that's just like, it, it can't, if it fails, everything falls apart. So we just can't, it's too big to fail. Mm. Uh, and so I'm, 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 forgive me for, sucking on this guy's just I mean, it sucks so <laughs> no pun intended but um <laughs> but you know so I'm, I'm writing this this article like essentially titling it too big not to fail and the the question is you know have we imagined a church like a form of church that we wanted to just grow and we just thought it just needs to keep growing and actually growth is a sign of the the blessing of god the presence of god the goodness of god so when we're not growing, we, we sort of sit around scratching our heads saying what's, what's gone wrong, you know? And I don't mean growth of the kingdom. I mean, growth of our brand, growth of our name, growth of the people in our building, doing our programs, giving to our budget. So it's a very narrow, you know, version of growth. Yeah. And what is that in us that wants to build something bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger with no ceiling? No imagined ceiling. Like I've, I've never heard anyone in the American conversation about church say there, there is a, there is such a thing as a church that's too big. Uh, that somehow we lose our way, we lose our heart, we, it's, it's unmanageable, whatever. So, <clears throat> you know, think about it for a second. Just, just as an exercise and imagine, just, just, just stay with me for a second. Don't and and those listening that are part of big churches, please don't be offended and don't be hurt. I don't. I don't mean, you know, just let's just do it as an exercise in imagination, you know, to, to, to try to, to try to grow something bigger and bigger and bigger. It really just means that we want everything to be under one leader or one hierarchy or one name, one structure, because if we thought about growth in a kingdom sense, which we all understand, like viral growth and, you know, just out of control and so on. That wouldn't be enough. That wouldn't be what we're actually ambitious for. But instead, what we want is our thing to grow, our name, our people, the people coming to our services, the people coming to our programs and so on. And, and what is that really? I mean, if, you, if we're honest, if we strip that back, 
it's not really about the gospel or the kingdom because the kingdom can grow in a viral way that I have no control over. But I'm, that's not what we're going for. That's not what we're working for. That's not what we're spending millions and millions of dollars for. What we're talking about, really, if we're honest, and maybe this is a part of what COVID can teach us, you know, and our, our, go back to our thoughts about repentance, you know, what we're really talking about is control. Mm. It's about control. It's about I, the difference between me just sort of like discipling something, I'm going to let him go off and do something new and fresh, or keeping that person within my sphere so that their gifts build up our thing. It's really just about control and power. And fame, and what we've what we've come to call platform, you know. And again, understanding the way the kingdom works, we know that's not how the kingdom doesn't have to grow like that. It it maybe it could, but it it certainly doesn't have to. So then, why are we doing that? Why are we why are we, you know, building temples made by human hands that we know God will never inhabit? It, it, you know, the, almost like a promise has been made that if if we grow a thing too big, it's a Tower of Babel situation. If we grow a thing too big, God, as much as he loves us, he'll just have to leave. He'll have to vacate it because it becomes a rival to him. And we're setting up leaders and structures and hierarchies uh, as, as a rival to his, to his goodness. So the way, the way, at least the way I see the church growing in time and into the future is, is, with this sort of mysterious leadership of the heart, the presence, the spirit of God, mm-hmm. not me. So I need to be careful. Now I'm not saying we don't build organizations and we don't have people come to our organizations and we don't want more people to come to our organizations. That's good. But we have to think about a ceiling. We have to think it is, there is such a thing as too big. And we're, I think we're coming up against that in America. This is why we're seeing so many, so many leaders fail and crumble and so many institutions, even even sort of modern evangelical institutions from the last 20, 30 years that are just like in shambles. I mean, just tattered. I won't name names because I don't think we need to, but we could make a list of entities that 15, 20 years ago, we would have said, oh, these are, these are beacons of sort of witness and hope in the world. And they're in, they're, they're in shambles, if existing at all. So when are we going to step back, even just sociologically, and say, what have we misunderstood here? What have we miscalculated? You know, what kind of pressure are we putting on these leaders to be in a hierarchy that Jesus never wanted to exist in the first place? I mean, he was very clear. I mean, this is foresight, by the way. You know, all thousands of years ago, Jesus said, guys, leadership's going to be like an issue for us. And so the Gentiles lead a certain way where they they sort of like control each other and they they're hierarchical and they lord it over each other and stuff. Not so with you. Don't ever do that. Never be like that. Never lead like that. This is part of how you'll show that you're my people. This is a part of how we'll be different in the world. Trust me. I'll still be in charge. I'll still sit at the right hand of God, the father. I, I know it won't make sense to you because if you're not controlling the doctrine and if you're not controlling the discipleship pathway, and if you're not controlling the, 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 you know, the worship liturgy or whatever, then it's just probably going to go to, 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 you know, the trash or the garbage heap or whatever, if you're not in control of it, but just trust me that I'm still going to be a living entity at work leading my church. And, and even if I'm not, even if, even if you don't see that, I still just gave you a command. Like you're just never supposed to do that. And we do it. 
And we do it to great extent. And it's not a scandal. It, and I don't understand. I really don't understand. I mean, I'm part of it too. I built an organization. I led it. I had a board. I still have a board. You know, it's like, I get it. But all I'm asking is, is there such a thing as too big? Have we, have we come up against that? What is a good functioning size? What, what size chapel should we be rebuilding? And I think that is also another like really profoundly important piece of learning that we should be taking away from this time. Again, maybe, maybe we can have thousands of people in a church and it can be healthy. Um, I don't know, but I do know there's a, there's a top, there's a ceiling, mm-hmm. there's a limit. And, and maybe if, if all I can do is just ask the question and be a part of provoking that conversation, then I think that's good. I think that's, that's a good thing. It's good, Brian. Like, man, I, I just think, man, the implications are endless. And um, especially when it comes to reassessing how much we can actually carry on our shoulders, how much are we to, to actually hold? And uh, I'm not sure it's a lot. I, I think um, I'm reminded back of like kind of the Old Testament teaching around boundary stones. It's like you don't expand them further than what like. You don't take a stone and move it out further, nor do you bring it in. I mean, you're faithful with what you've been asked to do, but the moment we begin to try to expand that, it's this weird, yeah, things begin to go awry. And I don't know if the Western culture of bigger, better, greater, more is helping us in in, in any of that. Uh, But anyways. Yeah, good. That's great. I think that for me, as I listen to all of that, it, it is, uh, personally convicting and freeing, right? We've talked so far about that whole idea of like shining the light on the cracks and crevices of our life is actually like, like so often we talk about it in terms of shame and guilt and all that stuff, but it's not, it's actually this liberating thing that actually I don't have to build a church that is thousands of people big in order for it to follow Jesus. In fact, that might be counteractive or counterintuitive to, to what my call is as a follower of Christ as a minister of the gospel. And um, it feels as though, uh, you know, going back to that whole idea that, that the scorecard has to begin to change and has to begin to shift in terms of what we're measuring ourselves against in order to really understand uh, what, what does faithfulness look like? And, and what does this look? Yeah. What does faithfulness look like? What does the future of the church look like? So as you're kind of processing that, even for yourself and the organizations that you're a part of, uh, as you look forward to the horizon, what do you see? Like what, I, I know it sounds like you see that churches will get smaller, but maybe that's what that looks like. Are there of any other aspects of the horizon that you see currently of what is coming? Yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I, I want to believe, I do, I do. <laughs> Uh, hopefully predict uh, a rise of the small church and, and actually a sort of, um, you know, generation of leaders who will say, I will take a small group of people and lead them towards Jesus and, and try to try to make, you know, some sort of lasting impression on the place where we are and live. Um, Now I'm not saying, of course, because we live in a day and age where, where communication and media is so ubiquitous, those people will get platforms probably they'll be known and so forth. But, but I just think it would be wonderful 
if if our most gifted and most talented leaders, our most brilliant people would just take something small mm-hmm. and give themselves to it uh, and make that um, appealing again, you know, um, to care deeply about one place. So, 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 you know, we can do zoom and we can have a meeting and people from all over the world can join that meeting. And that's kind of extraordinary. I mean, it's a, it's an, it's almost a miraculous kind of possibility, but, but there's a, you know, there's a threat there too, that we'll lose our way, that we won't have any sense of place, that we won't have any rootedness, that we won't belong anywhere. You know, that we'll just be faces on a screen and mm-hmm. personas. And I'd say that's just doubling down on the thing that already has made us as sick as we are. So let's not do that. Instead, let's, let's sort of, you know, be counterintuitive and let's, let's back off of this big brash, you know, communicative version of Christianity that wants to stand for principles and so on, tear things down and challenge everybody and, and find a place to really love and be and, and pour yourself out. I, I think if that happens, you know, the, the, the social technology of something like a microchurch, just ordaining small things that we weren't calling church before, we'll just have a lot more people that are actually leading churches. So it's not just mm-hmm. going to be a few people called into ministry. It'll start to feel like everybody can be called into ministry. You know, every serious Jesus person can say, well, where am I going to see? Uh, what is my little chapel that I will rebuild? Um, and so you'll have something that's a little more... Um, Simple, probably something that's a little more replicable, something that's a little more pure of heart, right? There's no, there's no mixed motives. There's nobody trying to become something special. You're not getting much out of this except for the the heart to actually love the people around you. Um, And if that's multiplied, you'll get a kind of Christianity, which, which would be pretty, pretty, um, pretty radiant, pretty, pretty spectacular. You know, this, this, this John 17 kind of, the world will look at you, they'll look upon you and they'll know something about me Yeah, because they look at you, you know? So it's learning from our mistakes for sure. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for big organizations going forward. I'm sure there is, but maybe that that would be my prediction is maybe that that would be less crucial or less key and that and that we wouldn't be making that our ambition that everybody that starts off as a church planter doing some kind of ministry thing it's not hoping and dreaming one day that they'll have thousands of people involved and um, you know 20 million dollar budget annual budget or something like that that's just those are just the wrong metrics they always were they always were yeah. they're yeah. always the wrong metrics so maybe we could have navigated them and occasionally we didn't navigate them without sin or failure or something or but Again, if we could break it down, give back the work of, of the kingdom and the witness to the kingdom to its people, its ordinary people. Also, by the way, when people fail, which, which they will, inevitably they will fail, you're, you're sort of minimizing the disaster of that. You know, it's just, a, it's just one little thing. And so you've got 100 little people doing awesome stuff. And yeah, one person did something horrible, but look around, you know, but when we make these, 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 icons these these towers of babel when they fall you know the 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 fallout is just extraordinary it's funny 
it's funny because we, not that we, I don't want to say we frown. That's being um, probably a little bit overdramatic, but we're always like, really? Are you sure? It seems like there's a lot of this and that heresy and people fail. And, and it's like, somehow we forget that three quarters of the world is actually operating this way. And maybe it's not micro church. Maybe it's just church. And here in the States, it's like, not maybe what church, I don't know. It just seems like not just today, Ryan, but in history. In history, that's right. If we look at what the church is, so just statistically speaking, we say, what is the church? Define it, describe it. It's a small thing. It's a small entity. Yeah. So it is a modern uh, you know, invention to have the church be something that's thousands of people in the last 50, 60 years. So I don't think we should be so tied to it or so committed to it. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very new possibility. Yeah. Can't change the thing you, uh, you, you know, love it too much. You can't change it. And um, the system of it, the structure of it and so on. Hey, here's one last question. Then we'll wrap up. So you got 30 seconds to answer this. I don't know. If, <laughs> I have a feeling I know how you're going to answer it, but how do you balance focusing where you're at with connection to a wider global church? The clock has started. I know that somebody, yeah. <laughs> Waiting for your answer. I, that's really I, yeah, that's 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 probably above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you just you just don't. I mean, you just focus on Jesus and the people around you, and and the rest will get sorted. I know some of you, some of us have sort of a global calling or something like that, but even that has to be. Uh, I'd say it has to be handled reluctantly. You know, we need to we need to be rooted. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I think it's a great way to answer that. I mean. Yeah, I think so. Um, Brian, I know that today this has been incredibly helpful for me. Uh, it's been super inspiring. Um, yeah, so thank you, man. I mean, I think it's, it's refreshing. Sometimes we're gripped by this fear of being insignificant. If we just simply focus on a place or focus on the small, but on the flip side of it, it's the most like life-giving, whole, wonderful, beautiful kind of, uh, yeah, thing when you can commit to a group of people in a place really well for a long period of time and watch Jesus at work in those spaces and in your own heart and life in the midst of that. So uh, I just want to say thanks, Beth. Thanks for um, leading this today and uh, allowing me to be part of it. Uh, yeah, so glad to be here with both of you. This has been a great conversation. Yeah. Exponential. Thank you for hosting this and allowing us to do this. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America longs to see the reign of God revealed in the everyday spaces of life. To do this, we partner with local movements to mobilize the people of God to participate in the everyday mission of God. If you'd like to know more about Forge America, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.